slow Romero-style zombie, Night of the Living Dead zombie, or fast-moving, like 28 days later, rage-fueled zombie, which do you find more terrifying as like an idea? The fast one. Like I could survive a zombie apocalypse with like George Romero, Night of the Living Dead zombies. I could probably, you know, hang in that zombie apocalypse for quite a while. You don't think that psychologically later. that that would like wear on you, this this concept that no, no matter what you do, no matter how many of them you kill, they will never stop coming and they well, will the never tire. The festival will never get there. Well, yeah, that's true. Either. That's true. But see, this is what brought, brought it up for us is Alex and I were thinking, yeah, the fast ones are terrifying and they're coming at you super fast, but they're also like a zombie is an undead person typically. And so you're you're talking about a rotting corpse in real time, who's doing all kinds of destructive things to their body to get to you. So our logic was, you know, they would break down a lot faster perhaps than the slow moving zombie who psychologically just breaks you down because think about it over time, you can't escape them. At some point you're going to get tired. At some point you're going to have to sleep. The zombie doesn't have to sleep. The zombie never quits. The zombie is just singularly focused on getting you so I don't yeah, know. I don't know. The fast, the fast zombies, you probably don't live a lot, long enough to sleep, to get to the point where you can fall asleep. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. Have you seen World War Z? Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not outrunning those zombies. There's no way. I'd last like five minutes. So sleeping wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't live long enough to get tired. All right. Okay. So welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Scream Sister, a, a podcast that comes out talking about scary movies and scary books. Uh, we are two sisters coming to you from Texas. My name is Valerie. I'm Veronica. And we are your hosts. And so this is our Halloween episode. When this episode posts, it'll be the Monday before Halloween, October 30th. So we're very excited because we are diving into the world of zombies. And this is Veronica's jam pretty much. So you're gonna we're going to be hearing a lot from her in terms of like history of zombies, the lore of zombies, uh, and, and then we'll dive into our movie this episode where we we, we talked about this uh, on the previous episode, and we've been talking about this on social media as well. If you're not following us on social media, on threads and on Instagram, you can find us at, at Scream Sister. Uh, and then, of course, you can always find us on our website home, ScreamSister.com. What is it? Is it ScreamSister.com? I think so. Hold on. <laughs> yes, it's ScreamSister.com. <laughs> We suck. So, right. Okay. So yeah, we're going to be talking about the film that we told you guys we were going to be watching. It's 2007's Wreck, as in record. I want I want to pivot over to Veronica because Veronica, she's a zombie lover. And she's been a zombie lover because amongst other things that I'm sure she's, she can talk about, she's she was also a huge fan of The Walking Dead. Is The Walking Dead even still on? The original show, no, it, it finished, but there is some offshoots. There's some... I don't know too much about them because I don't want to spoil myself, but there are there have been a couple of I don't know, I don't want to say spin-offs, but offshoots of the main okay. the main show, but the main show itself has ended. See, I never I never got into The Walking Dead. I, I believe really when that show I believe I know I yeah. I believe when that show started, I was deep in the throes of like 
first time early motherhood. And so you're so busy keeping a small human alive that you're just, you, you drop off of a lot of television. So I never got into The Walking Dead. And then it was just one of those things where it's like, this thing has now snowballed and I missed my chance to get on board the train. So I just never took it up. And then in subsequent seasons, I, I would just get wind of how like particularly graphic some seasons were. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, that's And you that's cry a lot. I, can't do it. I, cr- I cried a lot. Yeah, I, can't, I like couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. So I was just like, nope, nope, nope. But she was a huge fan. So I'm going to pivot over to Veronica. Lead us into the world of zombies. Disclaimer or caveat. I am not, I don't present myself as a zombie expert. I by no means have seen every single zombie movie that's ever been produced, but I am a great consumer of that particular subgenre within the horror genre. And the interesting thing is that zombies, or uh, at least the our modern, the, the zombie that we all picture typically in our minds today, the modern zombie, the flesh-eating, mm-hmm. cannibalistic zombie, and I are both turning 55 this year. Oh, because, really? <laughs> yes, it's the 55th anniversary of Night of the Living Dead. It came out in October 1968. I was born in December, so it's actually a few months older than me. But that's when George Romero took the idea of zombies, although he, although interestingly enough, they were not ever called zombies in the movie. I think they were just ghouls. So the word zombie yeah. wasn't actually used, but he's the one who kind of took the lore of the zombie, tweaked it, and gave us the zombie that, that we all know today. So yeah, it's celebrating its 55th year. Followed that up like 10 years later with Dawn of the Dead, which actually, that's the one that I, I texted you because Regal Cinemas was showing like a one-night-only um, last wow. night on the 27th uh, for the 45th anniversary of that movie because it came out yeah. in 78. Screened it at the movies, but I was not able to make it. So yeah, George Romero is kind of widely acknowledged as the father of the modern zombies, um, although they did exist prior to that, obviously. So like back in the, what was it? I think it was like the 16th century, you know, when like the, the French and the Spanish were like abducting people from mm-hmm. Africa away from their homes and bringing them over to what we now know as Haiti and the Dominican Republic brought them over to work as slaves in on the plantations mm-hmm. that existed there, the French owners, the Spanish owners. And so, of course, they brought over their spiritual beliefs from Africa. But death, you know, because they had very specific ideas about spirits and what happens to spirits after they die. But death was seen as, as not as a bad thing. It was seen as a release from that that, from that hell, like, yeah. Yeah, from that hell. It was seen as a relief. But the idea of zombie that souls could be captured and a dead body could be reanimated without its soul um, mm-hmm. and then basically be just a worker who never tires, never feels hunger, never feels pain, just just goes on and on and on. That was a fate worse. That, that took away that one escape, that yeah. the escape of death suddenly yeah. wasn't an escape anymore. So the original zombies were victims, basically. You know, they were these things to be pitied. Until, of course, Americans got hold of it. <laughs> and <laughs> and then, of course, we we honed in on the, the aspects that we didn't understand about voodoo or voodoo. Not that I'm an expert on either one of those religions, but um, slight differences. But, of course, they just kind of honed in on the things that they didn't understand that seemed vastly different from their Western, you know, Christianity and yeah, that kind of morphed into the, the, the modern Hollywood zombie. We yeah. Know. Where, where yeah. the zombie became, went from being a victim to being a monster, um, yeah, which is kind of an interesting journey. The first zombie movie, which I have not seen, uh, but it was uh, 1932, I want to say called the white, 
called White Zombie, of course, which dealt with yeah. the white woman who gets zombified. <laughs> which, which I thought was interesting because so, so Ronnie, there's Ronnie has a bunch of resources which we will link on the show, like we always do the show notes. I thought that was really interesting that plot of that movie because mm-hmm. it's as all movies of that time, it found a way to sort of victimize a white woman mm-hmm. uh, and and sort of speak to the, like the fear that existed in society at that time that that people would would deflower their white women or and so it was like a it was who what it was some sort of a, a Haitian it was a white voodoo couple. priest or something who's who's lusting after this couple this woman is that not what a, is it not a I don't think it was a voodoo priest I think it was the plantation owner was okay. wanted to seduce it was this either a couple that was about to get married or were newly married and the plantation I think they were about to were visiting married, yeah were visiting Haiti mm-hmm. and an owner of a plantation wanted to seduce her and mm-hmm. you know contacted a character who I believe was played by Bella Lugosi. So Bella Lugosi yes. kinda was in the first zombie movie <sighs> to give him powders or whatever to steal this woman's will so that he could she would be yeah. his. Which is a prevalent theme in so many of those movies is just like they're just coming and, after our women, you know, that right. kind of thing. And that's the actual other interesting thing about that I learned about kind of the history of zombies in in cinema, particularly in American cinema. And I'm just other countries I'm sure have their own zombies. But speaking for just like the history of zombies in American cinema, which is the other article that I emailed to you, the one in is it Fox? Yeah, I think Fox so. Yeah. Article? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which kind of talks about the way zombies kind of history and the socio-political history of America and how zombie movies have often reflected whatever the current fears of the time were mm-hmm. from everything from civil rights to, you know, the Cold War and spies and threats from outer space to pandemic. You know, we've certainly seen, uh-huh. you know, like The Last of Us right now and even World War Z, the very heavy the zombies kind of arise out of some sort of global pandemic. That was yeah. kind of an interesting read for people to I, check it that out. It was a very interesting read. And you know what really kind of struck a nerve for me and kind of I found terrifying that I did not realize. Uh, I can't I can't remember if it was the Vox article or one of the other ones you sent, but it one of the one of the resources talked about how I guess like there are various militias across the country yes, here in the states. Freaking doing zombie preparedness training, and I was like, "Oh God!" So well, interesting enough, I also right. read that that the CDC itself, you know, the actual mm-hmm. Centers for Disease Control, had a zombie. Pre- and I think I vaguely remember that site. Legend has it it crashed like the first day, but you know the the reasoning was sound. You know, if you can prepare to survive a zombie apocalypse, then you should be able to ride out a hurricane or a whatever natural disaster earthquake. Maybe not yeah, earthquake, but yeah. uh, <laughs> you should be pretty set to survive anything. You should be yeah, pretty that's set. A pretty, yes. a pretty, pretty scary thought to think those militias are up there. Oh. That's a perfect segue into the film we're going to be watching. Ron, you want to you want to open us up? What we watched and what hopefully all of you had a chance to watch so that, and if you haven't watched it yet, we're going to be getting in depth with the movie. So there's going to be spoilers. So if you haven't, if you have not watched it yet, Click away, go watch it, and then come back and join us. So we watched Rec, R-E-C, short for record, which is a film from 2007, Spanish film, which stars Manuela Velasco, Pablo Rosa, Ferran, I'm going to massacre some of these names, Ferran Terraza, Javier Botet, and Jorge Yaman, Yamam Serrano, directed and co-written by uh, Jaume Balaguero and Pablo, no, Paco Plaza. And basically... Kind of a short uh, description, but basically, television reporter and cameraman follow emergency workers into a dark apartment building uh, and are quickly locked inside with something terrifying. 
So, and it is a found footage movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it's on the shorter side. It was only like an hour and 20 minutes. So, and I know you, we usually start, Valerie, you asked me what I thought of it. But since we've kind of flipped roles here, I'm going to ask you, what were your initial impressions of this movie? Initial impressions. I really love, I really had a blast. I liked it a lot. I thought it was really fun. What I realized watching this movie, which I, I thought was really well done, I I find fine footage, found footage movies to be so uniquely scary, not because like you feel fear, but because I was reminded watching this, what you're feeling is just constant adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I got so caught it's up constant watching chaos. constant chaos and I got so caught up watching it and trying to like make out what I was looking at that I would forget to listen to the Spanish and I would forget to like follow the subtitles. So I kept having to back up and be like, what did they just say? Because I'm like so busy focused on like trying to mm-hmm. see stuff. And it's not even that there, there wasn't crazy shaky camera work by any means, but it just like you're so focused on the chaos that you're forgetting to like listen to the story. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really good. Um, the other thing that I feel is kind of a make or break element of found footage movies is is the actors and their mm-hmm. ability to kind of play to the camera, I guess. So And to make it that, look like they're not actors. Right. And like and, they're and just really that, people. Yeah. Yeah. Like that level of familiar familiarity. So like Angela, who we'll talk about in the movie, but I thought she was super endearing right off the bat. So you're immediately very invested in her. She's because really cute. yeah, because she plays her so convincingly. That's Manuela Velasco. And she establishes that relationship with the camera and we are the camera. The audience is the camera. I thought that was really great. But what did, what did you think? I really, I really liked it too. I, I'm part, I, you know, I like found footage stuff, movies. Um, that's also another kind of niche subgenre that I enjoy just because when it's well done, you kind of forget you're watching a movie and it's almost like you're really watching this real thing that happened to these real people. And a lot of that also goes back to the acting. If the actor they have to not look like they're acting. They have to look like, you know, when you see a news report on te- on television and the reporter's interviewing, you know, an actual person that lives on the street, house burned down, so they're interviewing the neighbor. I mean, it has to come across not as a polished actor, but not so bad that it, that it, <laughs> that it just, it's a crappy performance. So it's a very fine line, I think. I'm not an actor, yes. but it seems to me like that would be a hard line to walk to where you you look like you're a real person, but, right. you know, you know what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah, um, yeah, no, 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 yeah. But there, the one thing I will say, say with some footage movie and I found myself thinking it once or twice during this movie there is a a little suspension of disbelief where you're just thinking to yourself dude just drop the camera and run why are you still recording this (laughs) but of course you have to because if there's you need found footage to have a movie but yeah there's right right there's no movie without the found footage just I mean there were parts where he would drop it and then the camera would have like that that kind of cockeyed angle and kind of be like well what's happening in the background I can only see feet (laughs) but a lot of times I'm thinking dude just drop it and run and then like Angela especially towards the end where things are really getting out of hand. Angela is just like screaming at him, like, do this, do this. Pablo, what are we doing? Yeah. I'm like, Pablo's doing the best he can. Like, back off. Turn the light on. I'm trying. The Horrible. other thing that I wanted to mention about found footage stuff before we dive into like the actual movie itself, what I thought this film did really well that other found footage films can do really well, and I think it works to their advantage, is you don't really have to ever fully show the, the threat. Mm-hmm. So like in the movie... 
we catch glimpses of the infected humans, but not so close that we get to really study them, not so close or, or in focus that we get to really spend a whole lot of time trying to process what we're seeing. It all mm-hmm. happens so fast. It just means like you can do this kind of stuff. You can do these kind of films in a very budget-friendly way, I think. I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it seems that way. And I feel like the Blair Witch Project is kind of an infamous example of mm-hmm. you know doing something on a, on a low budget that ended up being a huge hit. So, yeah. you know. And you never really see, I think that was the first found You never footage. see the Blair Witch, yeah. Yeah, you never really see anything, basically, but it's just the fear of the people, you know, the actors that are playing real people, the filmmakers, it's just really just you're, you're feeding off their fear. You're feeding into their fears, feeding into you um, yeah. without ever having really seen the boogeyman, so to speak. Um, and then just on a totally random note, I continue to be just very drawn to like Spanish architecture, like the, this, the layout of these apartments. I don't know. Yeah. They were shooting in like a real apartment building, but like that long hall, like right when you walk in the, the front door to the apartment. You, you, you mean like, the really? apartment that they kept going back to the entire movie that I was like, why are we back in this apartment? Well, not even, the, not even the penthouse one with all the random. With all the stuff. No, but the, the old ladies just, apartment. Yeah. Uh, the old ladies, like they're in that apartment multiple times throughout the movie. And I was like, why are we back here? There's nothing good that comes from this apartment. But just I'm very just like really intrigued by, I guess. Well, what is it about Spanish the architecture, architecture. that? that struck you like when you just like when you walk in and it wasn't just her apartment because you know we visited at least two at least i believe two other apartments not the penthouse but just two other regular apartments and they all just like when you walk in the front door to the apartment there's that long hallway that Mm -hmm. leads back and has doors leading off of it but i was it a long narrow hallway it wasn't even like a super wide hallway yeah i don't know it's just weird i just don't know i don't know if that was like a real if it was a set that they just made it that way to make it claustrophobic or or if it was a were they shooting in a real place i don't know so that first time that we're in the old lady's apartment when we first kind of see her. Mm -hmm. And again, because I wasn't paying super close attention because I was so focused on trying to Process, like trying to capture everything that was in the scene, I gather that the the man she attacks was a police officer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, like this the very second that he turns his head away from her momentarily mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is like trying to address the others in the room, the very second he did that, I was like, he's about to get he's about to get bit, and sure enough, she just like launches at him, and it happens multiple times in the movie where it's just like the very second that they would look away for just like a split second, the infected human would like launch at them. And, and bite them in a slit. It's just like it's just a reminder for all of us: do not turn your line of vision away from someone that you suspect is rage-filled and cannibalistic in nature. It will not end well. Yeah, the lady's dress was clearly covered in blood. I mean, this here. is one of those times where it's like practice safe distance. You don't need to get any closer. Just just stay away. And then and then like throughout the entire movie, I just kept thinking, man, they're running away. They're trying to get away from these people as they're becoming as, as like the number of infected people is starting to outnumber the number of non-infected people. I just like get a weapon, find a weapon, find something, anything that you can like fight back with. I know it's intuitive. I, I know that we know this after years of watching zombie movies, but I feel like it is kind of intuitive that go for the head. The head is a deadly thing. It's deadly for anybody, whether yes. you're a zombie or not a zombie. So just go for the head. The one thing I will say though, 
because I, I was enjoying the whole movie. But the very last part, like when they enter the penthouse and then they start talking about, you know, they see all the stuff in the walls about that girl that was possessed. And like, I really don't know what- Why have a lot of questions there? Because I wasn't- I don't know I how that fit. I don't know how that fit with the rest of it. Well, see, that's what I was- Okay, because that's where I have questions because that's where I stopped listening because I was so busy focusing on trying to like watch what I was looking at. Like, what did I say? This is what I had questions on. Like at, when once they enter that like penthouse- level or whatever it is, that upper level, and she starts listening to the tapes of what I had assumed was a doctor. Maybe it's not a doctor. Maybe it's a priest. Yeah, I thought but, it was a priest. So she's listening to those tapes and they're looking at a bunch of junk on the walls, realizing that there was some girl that was believed to be possessed. I, I'm i not clear on what that story is. And I was hoping that you followed it better than I did. Well, confession. I did not know what that played into the movie. Although I will say the very last shot, the very last uh-huh. shot was awesome. That was a very great, terrifying, scary shot. But the stuff in the apartment about the priest and the possessed girl, to me, it, it didn't connect at all with the story that we had been led to believe at that point that the dog got sick, the dog bit someone at the vet, they well, traced I, the dog back to the apartment. So I think what we're supposed to infer, and I, I did sneak around after watching the movie, and I did stumble across something that I started reading, and we'll link it for everybody, but I didn't finish reading because it really starts weaving in all of the Rex stories because this is a mm-hmm. franchise with multiple movies. And I, did, I, I, I didn't did watch wanna... the second one. You did? I okay. Did. I see. I haven't watched it, but I, I want to. I want to know more. But so like I got the impression because I was thinking as I was watching that, I was like, well, she looks so the 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 creature that's locked away in the attic, we are presumed to think is the girl that this priest or whoever who was on the recordings was trying to treat. He was trying to cure her. And then Mm -hmm. I guess at a certain point, he gives up on that notion. It can't be done. And he decides that the best thing to do is to seal her up in this attic space. And so she lives her life there. And how is she getting food? Well, because she's eating eating rats, Veronica. She's essentially creating- No, this is what I read in that thing. I don't know if it was said in the movie. I missed it as well. But this is what I read in the- She's feeding on rats and- various rodents and then she's creating like zombie rats who then go and attack the dog and so they infect the dog and then the dog you know like goes in like i I thought the way that they uh wove yeah yeah, that that makes sense that was not anywhere in the movie and it was not anywhere in the second movie well see so so, i don't know where people are getting that from it's interesting i mean that at least makes sense because well that's what i that's what i assumed watching it last night i assumed i was like well how has she survived all this time i was like well she's got to be eating rats probably and then i was like well isn't that creating zombie rats and i was like well but what then I to thought, the priest okay, well, did maybe, she kill him and that's the other thing it's like where's the priest i don't know if like she killed him i don't know if he sealed her up and then just left where is he so i mean maybe that's featured in subsequent movies but we haven't tackled that yet yeah i thought the way that the they wove the the little girl turning into a zombie that was fun um because you could kind of see in the movie she's she's supposed to be presented as like she has tonsillitis. But then progressively in in some of the frames that she's in, you see that she has like this little bitty, like it's very small. It's not super huge, but a little bitty open wound all around her mouth area. And I remember thinking, well, that, that does not bode well. I don't feel like that bode, bodes well for her. Um, that was a tell essentially that she was in the process of turning and she does become a zombie who then eats her mother's face and turns her mother into a zombie. So I, thought it was, I thought it was pretty great. Is there anyone that died in the movie that you were either surprised by the death that that particular character died or that you would have liked to have seen live? I really wanted Manu. Manu. I think it's Manu, the firefighter who had been Mm -hmm. with them. He was like one of the last three. 
I really wanted to see him make it because I think he was the most level-headed one. I liked that he was like challenging the police officers. I thought that the way he was sticking up for the people because the police officers were just trying to follow a hard line of like, we're going to obey orders because I guess I should back up and say at the time that the firefighters show up to the building, they don't realize what's going on. Police are already there. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as these, as soon as these firefighters and uh, Angela, is that her name? Angela, yeah. And her and her her camera guy Pablo, as soon as they enter the building, they are made aware of the fact that like this is an area they will not be able to leave because there's some sort of like bio threat happening. And so the police, Spanish police, seal off the building. They're not allowing any of them to leave, even though these are these are humans that are like at that point in time uninfected, and and they're not explaining. Yeah, they're not to telling the, them anything. They're not telling them anything, and so the firefighters are like, "This is I'm gonna I'm just gonna cuss because it makes sense. I know my our parents listen to this, and I'm gonna get a note, but I don't care." <laughs> it, the firefighters are just calling bullshit. They're like, "This is bullshit. Like, let us out, you know, or at least tell us what's going on." So I had a lot of respect for that. I had a lot of respect for Manu sticking up for the people and fighting back for the people. I also also had a lot of respect for Angela, who was demanding they get to keep recording because she's like, we need to tell this story. We need to tell what's happening in here. I just hit my mic. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm gesturing wildly with my pen. <laughs> but we need to tell people what's happening in here and how we're being treated and how this is being handled. Yeah, I had a lot of res- I would have liked to have seen him survive. But I have a question, Ron. Was Angela, at the, in the end, when they're up in the attic, was she starting to turn no, I, I felt like her something funky was starting to happen with her eye. Did you notice it in the well, night vision? Was, well, I thought that was just because everybody's eyes glowed when... I swear to you, one of her eyes looked like it was going, it was turning. I swear. I will go back and watch and, and be sure, but I felt like her eye was turning. And I was thinking, is she starting to turn? Because remember when they're running up the stairs away from the zombies and she's like screaming hysterical because one of them tried to launch at her and she's like, I got bit, I got bit. And Pablo's like, no, you didn't. I saw you, nothing happened. Come on, keep running. But it's like, what if she did get bit? Because how I saw it ending, mind you that this is all happening when I'm noticing that her eye is looking funky. That is when the original, let's let's call her original zombie. That's when the original zombie has has emerged. And so she can't see them, but they can see her through the night vision, the mm-hmm. zombie. And what I envisioned, how I saw it ending was that they were going to escape. Pablo and Angela were going to escape this original zombie and kind of get past that threat and things were going to be calm and and uneventful for a few seconds. And then he was going to pan the camera over to Angela and she would have been fully turned and then she would launch at him, cut to black. That's the end of the movie. So that's how I thought that was going to end. I just saw glowing eyes on everybody, but I wasn't I wasn't usually looking at that. I was usually trying to make out what's in the background that might be moving. <laughs> okay. Well, if anybody else felt that Angela's eyes looked funky, it, please tell me because I feel, I don't know if I'm, I swear to you, it looked not right. I also didn't really didn't understand why was it that Pablo, when he's using the night vision, could see something that when the light was on looked completely different. What do you mean? You know, like you when he sees the well, that that last, who was it that fell in the well, who got dragged into the well? Fell they're in the in well? Pit, what are you talking about? You know, they're oh. up in that, oh no, sorry. I'm in part, Are you I'm thinking in the of sequel. a different movie? I'm no, don't tell me the sequel. Okay, never mind. That's the sequel. Okay, well, hey. Oh, I, will just... say, I will say, personally, I liked the the track that the first movie was fought. Like the, the sequel kind of takes things into, veers, you know, pivots the story in another direction that I didn't really quite like as an explanation as much as... 
is it more of like an origins kind of story? It more answers like what what's what's creating these zombies. It just kind of pivots the story in a different direction. But there's a an interesting twist, I guess, at the end too. So watch it well, or not, I but the first movie yeah. stands alone on it on its own, frickly on well. its own. Yeah. What I what I like about this, and I guess like going in, this was a lot of fun, and I had a, and I would totally watch this again. I really enjoyed it. I was going in, I was a little nervous because I what what zombie week kind of brought up for me, Veronica, as I was realizing I'm I find the concept of zombies genuinely terrifying. Not in the same way that I do necessarily ghosts or something. Like I know that that zombies are not real, but I guess in my brain. I'm not ready to dismiss the fact that zombies are impossible. Does that make sense? Well, like I'm Well, and that's because the current trend of zombies, like there's been different kinds of zombies. Zombies can be created through like ritualistic things that, you know, there's been in the past zombies that are created by some type of, you know, chemical or radioactive exposure. But the 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 latest trend of zombies, you know, and this goes to World War Z, The Last of Us. Have you seen The Last of Us? I have not. It's, it's, um, I want to, but I just I haven't had a chance to start it yet. Not enough zombie. <laughs> not enough zombies in that TV show for my taste. Uh, I mean, it's a good <laughs> okay. show, but I want more zombie action. So I'm hoping <laughs> for the next season that there is more zombie action. But anyway, yeah. this current trend of zombies. So World War Z, definitely Last of Us. There are zombies that are created out of pandemics or infections, mm-hmm. viral, or in the case of Last of Us, it's fungal infections. So having the world just having come through COVID um, just yeah. a few years ago, and again, this is where zombie movies are kind of mirroring fears that we currently have today. Um, so that's what makes it scary is because we know pandemics can happen. Um, mm-hmm. We know things can be highly contagious and spread yep. just because of the way our cities are structured, the way people fly right. internationally. I mean, so that's what's scary about it. Oh, and I Am Legend. That was another one where there was just yeah. something that spread. That's something that you can definitely see that this is not too far removed. This is not so yeah. fictional that it could never happen. Right. I don't. And I, you saw, you saw how how quickly people's true colors showed during COVID. You know, there were no <laughs> zombies. There was no throw zombies into that mix. And can you imagine how horrible, how horrible yeah. things would be? Well, I think that's what one of the one of the articles you shared uh, talked about. It's just like I think it was the one that was talking about how over the years zombies in culture and in our books and our movies have have kind of reflected back to us what the current fears of the times are Mm -hmm. and how we've kind of evolved it to a place where it's like the fear is each other. I don't want I don't I don't want to pretend we've ever necessarily trusted one another, but just sort of like that's become the fear. Now, if you look at like The Walking Dead, I think I think the article that I'm referencing talked about The Walking Dead, how and you might be able to speak to this better than I can because you know the show. But in The Walking Dead, kind of what evolves over time is that the one of the major threats in that show is other people. survivors. Yeah. yeah. It's other people. So the, it's, the threat is each other. We were just having this conversation, me, Robert, and and Lorenzo. I was I was telling them that um what were we talking about? The oh, he was reading something on his phone and he's saying, Oh, they're saying here that stranger danger is not good to tell kids because most of the time kids are harmed by people that they know and people mm-hmm. that they trust. And I said, Well, yes, because that's human nature is to say the people to fear are the people 
outside of us, people that don't look like us, people that don't believe in the same faith as we do, people who love differently than we do. You know, we always try to cast out that the people to fear are outside when really the monsters are in here with us. Or within. Yes. And that's the thing about The Walking Dead. You know, there was always that that talk in the fandom of The Walking Dead isn't really referring to the zombies, The Walking Dead or the the people, the the survivors yeah. and the horrible things that they did that they did to each other. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, good movie all around. I, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. And I, I will definitely be giving the subsequent Rex a, a look because I, I want to know more about this world. And Ron, since you've seen the second one, you might be able to get a little bit further in that article that I'm going to link in show notes because it does sort of, I guess it ties up the story of the original zombie, the, um, I think, I want to say it's Madero Squirrel. I could be mm-hmm. mispronouncing that, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to say it ties up that story a little bit better in a way that if it if it's mentioned on the tapes in this movie, did not hear it at all. So yeah. so when I read it in the article, I was like, oh, so that's what her story is. I had no idea. So I don't know. Yes, I will. I will um, say that the sequel, even though it pivoted the story kind of and in, in, and gave the zombies an origin that I liked it better as it was hinted in the first movie. The second movie does answer the question about the priest, what happened to the priest, does answer more questions about her. Okay. So, so if you're if you're wanting that and you're feeling like you need that, then, then go watch <laughs> it. If you're if you like the first movie and you're then that's a perfect place to start. But what other zombie okay. movies have you ever seen? Have you ever so, seen Train I mean, to I, Busan? I, say again? Have you ever seen Train to Busan? It's a Korean no. zombie movie. <gasps> Love that movie. Like that's the only zombie movie that I've ever actually made me cry. Really? It's was it was it very excellent. scary or just very dream- emotional? It's got humor, but it's also got like like you're on the edge of your seat pretty much, you know, from about the 10 minute mark in, you're on the edge of your seat. It's really good. I highly recommend I, it. I will tell you, I've not seen so I I mean, I've not seen many zombie movies that are like I've I, this doesn't count. I've seen Zombieland. <laughs> But, but that's more funny. But I, yeah. I've seen um, I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I've seen I Am Legend, which I don't even know if that's necessarily a zombie movie, but I kind of qualify yeah. it as that. Yeah, zombie. They're infected, that, infected yeah. humans. Yeah. What else? I've seen Twenty Eight Days Later. I have not seen World War Z because what I learned with Twenty Eight Days Later is that fast moving zombies are very terrifying. So I was just like, I, I haven't seen. And at my understanding, I could be wrong. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought the World War Z book, I thought there's a difference between the way the zombies move in the movie versus the book. And I don't remember, I'll have to, somebody tell me if I'm wrong, but I I thought in one of them, maybe it was a situation where in the book, the zombies are more George Romero style zombies, but I don't know. The ones in Train to Busan are also very fast moving. I find those zombies to be quite terrifying, but it's still a good movie. Okay, so now we're going to dive into Halloween. So, yay! So this week I watched, this is one of Veronica, this is Veronica's go-to Halloween movie every year, but I have never seen it, 1978's Halloween. And I took notes, Ron, and then my printer crapped out on me, so they're not very clear. I'm going to do my best, but... I do want to say right off the bat, the iconic movie music of mm-hmm. Halloween, that I know, that I have heard. And so I, I wrote down, I think part of the That's reason- That's my ringtone every October. I switch my ringtone to that <laughs> on my phone. I think part of the reason I had put off seeing Halloween in my younger years is because I had decided- 
that it was probably going to be even scarier than the Nightmare on Elm Streets. And I had decided that based on this music. So, I mean, this is like a shout out to what a good film soundtrack can do. I got to watch it. I really loved it. It's a slow burn. I, mm. I really like, like I would say like the, the height of action doesn't come until like the last 45 minutes of the movie. That was kind of vastly different from like say Nightmare on Elm Streets for that for, for, for one. I also wrote that I'm super in love with the late 70s fashions in this movie. Like, were they fun? They were fun. I want to bring back thick tights for grownups. <laughs> like Lori <laughs> and her thick tights, her whole like librarian aesthetic. So I really liked that. Just little rough, just little observations I made throughout the movie. Like I, I wrote, Michael just wants to go home. He's just trying to go live a quiet life in his house away from naked people and teens who are exploring intimacy. He's, But he's specifically targeting those teens, which I guess kind of is the birth of the whole trope of like, if you want to survive, you have to be virginal. I really, I don't know if subsequent films do this, Ron. Did you have, did you ever see any of the other Halloweens? Um, I saw the second one, which has nothing to do with Michael Myers or any, it was just bizarre. Then was that number two? Season of the Witch. I don't, I don't remember if it was number two or number three, but there was a a sequel also with Jamie Lee Curtis, which pretty much picks up the same night. So after, you know, I think it picks up with taking her to the hospital. I've seen that one. I saw the Halloween H2O that came out a mm-hmm. few years back with like an adult Jamie Lee Curtis back in the role. I haven't seen uh-huh. them all because there, there's been several and there's so many. Yeah. The timeline, well, because gets I was little, wondering, the timeline gets a little wonky. A little wonky. I, think I was wondering, I was wondering if subsequent films because me and I am deep in the throes of my true crime passion right now. And so like watching this movie, I was just thinking, man, this dude really hates his sister. And I want to unpack what that's about because I feel like all of the killings in this movie are kind of their callbacks to whatever animosity he feels towards his sister. Like the fact that he shows back up into town and takes his sister's headstone and then places it at the head of like Lori's friend that he strangles, mm-hmm. you know, remember the scene mm-hmm. where she's like laying in the bed dead and the headstone is right above her. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. what, what does this dude have against his sister, man? There's something going on there. Let's, let's unpack that, Michael. Other things that I noticed, I was I, like the, the not so very subtle scenes where he's following Lori on the way home from school and kind of like lurking around bushes and standing amidst clotheslines, you know, watching her in my adult brain, who's not, you know, living in a horror movie. Part of me is watching that and being like, no, dude, you got, you got to speak up. You got it. Like if, if that were me and I'm seeing this weird guy creeping around the bushes at me, I'm just going to be like, not today, Satan. So, <laughs> but she's just like, not super concerned about it. And I'm just like, no, you, you should be a little bit more weirded out by that. But yeah, like the I, also, I also love the, I also love the whole, like the neighborhood that yeah. they're all walking, you know, walking to and from school. I love all those old houses. I love that simpler, I don't know if it was simpler, but it seems simpler, you know, Halloween with kids running up and down the streets. And Halloween just well, seemed yeah. more of a thing back then. You know, now it's, well, I don't know. So I wrote, it just doesn't feel the same to me. I, well, because your kids are grown up and like don't care about yeah, it. But even <laughs> on Halloween night, we don't get like the level of traffic, you know, kids trick or treating that yeah. seemed to be when we were kids and trick or treating in the we, streets. We get a lot of kids. kids. We do get a lot of kids in our neighborhood, but we also have we have, we live in a very Halloween loving neighborhood. So there is like a main street in our neighborhood that sees a lot of traffic because it's kind of a through street. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've got people 
laying like they they go overboard like they're they're handing out candy to the kids and they're handing out grilled hot dogs to the adults they're handing out shots to the adults like come and have a a street party essentially no but i agree with you like i i made the note that like the quintessential elements of halloween season are in this movie like you know you've got leaves changing your pumpkins your sweaters your old cemetery it's all there so it's they it's very have a fall unlike us where it's like 80 degrees like today it's super humid and by monday it's going to be like a high of 40 like it's just something insane like that interesting thing that halloween and night of the living dead both share is that they were both like small independent movies shoestring budgets i mean the the actors for night of the living dead were getting their clothes from like goodwill doing their own makeup Uh, the actors for halloween were wearing their own clothes uh so it was just very those were jamie lee curtis's own tights her own tights (laughs) um but both like these low budget movies that nobody had any expectations of and yet now they're two of the you know iconic Mm -hmm. you know movies in the genre i did realize i have seen I have seen parts of this movie and I realized that watching it, like the scene where the cheerleader girl is in bed, she's, she doesn't know it, but she's about to get killed because her, what she, the person she believes to be her boyfriend underneath the bed sheet is actually Michael. I have Mm -hmm. seen that scene before. So it's probably one of those situations where like flipping channels, I saw it. No, I I don't want to watch that. That's too scary. So I I had seen that before. And then that kind of leads me into like, Again, this this trope that was probably birthed in movies like like Halloween that came out about this time, the trope that sexually adventurous naked teens are most certainly headed for their demise versus Lori, who's like virginal and, you know, a rule follower and all that stuff. And so then later on in the movie, when Michael finally gets into the house that Lori's in and tries to stab her, like immediately I was like, dude, she didn't even show her chest. Leave her alone. Like let her live her life. <laughs> It's like, she didn't even get naked. Let her be. But I thought it was really great. I liked it. It'll be part of the viewing the viewing list too going forward. How old were you when you first saw it? Oh gosh, I don't even remember. Were you yeah, a teen just, or were you younger? Uh, pretty sure I was probably a teenager. I just like the concept of that it. it's all pretty much takes place in that one day. Other than the flashback beginning. That, well, it's not a flashback, but just kind of that. The, the escape the from crime. The- yeah, yeah well, and, and him committing the crime and then oh, yeah. the bit about him escaping the asylum years later after he's been pretty much catatonic. Yeah. It's my Halloween go-to. It's, it's the last Halloween movie I watch every year. The last thing we're going to do is we're just going to remind everybody about, about books and stuff that we're looking at. So just a reminder, the current Scream Sister Book Club pick is Vampires of El Norte by Isabel Cañas. We've been reading that. We assigned that last book club episode, and we're asking you to read along with us because we're going to have our book club discussion episode coming on November 13th. That episode will be our first one of November just because of the way our recording schedule falls. Our goal, I tested it out today and it worked, but our goal is that that book club episode, we will also be posting video of it over on our YouTube channel. So you can find us on YouTube. Uh, I believe it's at Scream Sister Pod. <laughs> so uh, I'll verify that and that'll be in show notes, but you can find us over there. Oh no, I have it written down. Yeah, I was smart. At Scream Sister Pod on YouTube. And so we'll be posting video of that as well as the normal podcast audio that you'll pick up wherever you listen to us. So please get that book read with us and then give us your takes. Email us 
at screamsisterpod at gmail.com or DM us over on Instagram or on th- threads, wherever you want to find us. But I'm, I'm excited about that book. This is her second novel. Her debut novel was The Hacienda. I really enjoyed that book. So I've been, I'm like maybe a third of the way through Vampires of El Norte. And I would say it is, in my opinion, it's different from The Hacienda and we'll dive into it. But get that read. Ron, are you taking in anything else outside of? I have been a busy. So I binged all of The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh. And then I went and watched all of The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Oh my god. Then I was going to take a quick break and watch something spooky fun. like when, uh, So I watched the first episode of Wednesday, but my love triangle alarms were mm-hmm. going off and so I backed out of that one. So I, I started Midnight Mass. I think I'm three episodes into that one. So all of Mike Flanagan's basically Netflix Right. Yeah. I was going to say you're on a Mike Flanagan kick. So so don't give away because I did not. No. I wanted to get started on House of Usher, but how did you like it? I, I liked it a lot. No spoilers, but all the episodes are pretty much named after probably more more, more well-known short stories. So you've got The Pit and the Pendulum, The Telltale mm-hmm. Heart, The Black Cat, Murders in the Rue Morgue. So they're all named after his short stories and they do not follow the short stories verbatim, but they'll take like character names from the different. So all the characters in the show have names that appear in his short stories. And then he'll take maybe like a major plot point from the short story and it'll be in the, you know, incorporated in a different way in the episode. So it's, so yeah, uh, after I watched the show, then I went and I'm currently listening to an audiobook of a collection of his short stories. And I'm kind of listening to the, the short stories in the order that mm-hmm. the episodes appeared on the show. So it was really good. I liked it. He has, he kind of, I didn't know it at the time that I was watching that, but after having watched Bly Manor and Hill House, he definitely has a style where he tells a story in a, the story is not linear. So he kind of, yeah. you know, jumps back and forth, which is it's kind of like waiting to put a puzzle together. You don't see the big picture really till you usually get to the last episode. Okay, They're I definitely enjoyed. I definitely enjoyed Haunting of Hill House. I I started Haunting of Bly Manor and then I backed out of it. I, I it's worth. You liked it it's, though. You liked it's. It's. How would you the, rank the three? Bly Manor so far, least just because it's like I like I enjoyed Hill House more. Bly Manor. Yeah, see, I feel like that was just felt like it moved a lot slower. Even though I think it had one less episode. By the, by the time it got to the end, I was like, I just want to know what happened. <laughs> like, just, yeah. just, just get, get to, to it. The, get to the point. I want to know what happened. Um, See, I feel like I feel like that was my problem. Is I started, wa- I I downed Haunting of Hill House. I really liked it, and then I immediately tried to go into Haunting of Blind Manor, and I was just like, no, emotionally, I can't do this. Like, I I just now got through Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. Like, I I'm not ready to emotionally invest in Blind Manor, so I. But I do like seeing okay. like all the different actors in, you know, kind of repeat in different roles. Cause like the, the actors that are in, what am I watching right now? Midnight mass. Okay. Veronica's back. Oh, I was saying how <laughs> we lost her to uh, internet problems for a minute, but she's back. So yeah. No, yeah I was just so... saying how, how I enjoy uh, the way Mike Flanagan kind of reuses the same act, a lot of the same actors in different roles. Which worked for me because since I started off with uh, Follow the House of Usher, there were some actors in there that are in Midnight Mass, which is what I'm currently work- watching. Um, mm-hmm. But I hated their characters in Follow the House of Usher, oh. but I like them. I like them so far, at least in Midnight Mass. So I am hoping to start that perhaps on Halloween night. The other thing I want to alert everybody to, if you don't already know, but on Halloween. Hulu will start streaming A Haunting in Venice. So I'm hoping to get to watch that. I know Ronnie already saw it, but I'm hoping to get to watch it. And then 
what I what I was saying when I was talking to myself when we when we temporarily lost Veronica was that I am currently reading Killers of the Flower Moon right now in addition to our Scream Sister book. And so for those of you unfamiliar, this tells the story of the Osage murders and kind of how the FBI came to be. It's by David Grant, came out in 2017. And it's super informative read. I am a little bit more than halfway through it. And I am, it, it's, it's just, it, it's a really great book. Very, very readable, very accessible, I would say. So mm-hmm. it, I, I knew nothing about these murders or the land grabs and the wealth grabs that kind of motivated them. So obviously this is, there is a much talked about movie right now, Killers of the Flower Moon, that's in theaters getting a lot of attention. It's like three and a half hours long. I don't know that I could do that, but I do want to see it. However you may feel about Martin Scorsese, however you might feel about this movie, uh, I am grateful for it just because it did alert me to this. I did, because of this, then go out and find the book and read it and kind of get to educate myself on this a little bit. So I'm, I'm super grateful for that opportunity. Ronnie had sent me an article this week about ghost towns in Texas which was kind of neat because uh, there are a lot of ghost towns in Texas. I did not read the whole thing, except we did apparently miss our chance to actually buy our own ghost town in Texas. Ah. <laughs> where was it? I don't know. It was like for $100,000. I don't know where, That's where not it bad. was. It's in the Chronicle? Is that what this? Yeah. Some, I think it was like the San... Is there a San Antonio Chronicle? Maybe it's the Houston Chronicle? Maybe it's the Austin Chronicle. I don't know. But apparently Texas has more ghost towns than any other state. A lot of them are kind of clustered around the I-35 corridor. So we've got the highest concentration. Apparently are just outside of San Antonio. Telling about it. We should do a a, a road trip and check some of these out. Yeah. I mean, this is really interesting. And it comes on the heels of another article that that I think Ronnie sent to me also that just sort of like the number of horror movies that have been filmed in the state of Texas is pretty high. Couple this with the fact that, yeah, we have so many ghost towns in the state of Texas. There's just a lot of there's a lot of eeriness to the state of Texas that has that is not all wrapped up in just our politics and crappy state leadership. Yeah, so this so, ghost yeah. town that was for sale uh, is in West Texas. It's called Lobo, which I've never heard of, but it's in West Texas and it hit the market for $100,000. Wow, somebody nabbed it up. I guess so. But it was a bargain price because apparently there was a ghost town in California that sold for like one point something million. All right. Well, the only other thing I wanted to make sure we talked about, uh, as of like we're recording on October 28th right now, there was an article that came out today in The Guardian. It was really cool, kind of just talking about the new way, how horror fiction is kind of in the middle of a renaissance moment as authors across the world explore the darkest fears horror fiction is evolving to offer a chilling reflection of our times so we're going to link that article for you guys in show notes uh written by neil mcrobert who i believe is runs a podcast called talking scared it's just really super informative and and mariana enriquez is mentioned in the article as sort of part of the the wave of latin american authors so yeah that i think that's going to be a wrap for us We want to wish everybody a fantastic, spooky, safe Halloween. We'll be back on November 13th with our book club discussion. So bring your wine, your tea, your snacks. Our first time going video, correct? Our first time going video. So exciting, but scary. God willing. (laughs) All right. Happy Halloween, everybody. Stay safe. Scream Sister is a Nest production hosted by Veronica and me, Valerie. Editing by me. Music by Omar Chakor. Production support for this episode provided by Lorenzo Villarreal and Alex Street. Listen to new episodes of Scream Sister every other Monday, and don't forget to give us a rate and review. 